Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me are your co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hey, y'all. Hey, Wiley. How's it going? Yeah. Hey. And What's up, Wiley? Joel, Joel Schilbert. <laughs> Good. Hey, Joel. I'm just going to step on everybody. Just, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> well, you say how it's going. I know it's kind of mixed for me. My son uh, just recently tested positive. Mm. So yeah, he's dealing I, with, with uh, you know, small symptoms. He's got no taste, no smell, some headaches and uh, a little runny nose. So he's only 25. He's not in the house. So I'm, I'm not worried about myself or anything like that. He's lives uh, out of town so so 25 he should be uh okay and so far he's you know he got tested like a week ago so i think things are looking good for him he'll be okay hopefully uh he doesn't get infected to other people so it's it's interesting this whole covid 19 thing thing right i've actually had a science infection all week or what feels like a normal science infection and i went to go see my doctor yesterday because um, I still have a lingering cough, uh, she couldn't see me. I have to go get tested, which I've already done, but I have to wait for the results to come back before I can actually go see my doctor. <laughs> right, yeah. My wife had so, to go in yeah. for a procedure as well. She had to go in for a scan, and she had to get a test before she could go in for the scan. Is, is it a drive-in testing for you guys? Or? Like, that's what we do. We just drive. It is, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it was for her, too. It was out in the parking yeah. lot of the hospital. It only takes a day or two yeah, to get the results. Well, there's there's two different ones here in the U.S. There's a, a full panel that takes three to five days, and then there's a rapid test that you get back in less than 24 hours. But the panel is supposed to be more accurate. So, okay. yeah, just like what Elon Musk recently did, the rapid one. He took four of them. Two were positive, two were negative. So it tells you how. how so good it's the roll of the dice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did he actually have it or not? <laughs> I think he concluded that he did have it but so that's why he was not present at that recent launch that they had up to the space station so like is it is it more for false positives or, or false negatives like if you if would it, would it show you have it yeah it's false positives oh okay yeah hmm. so. yeah hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right. Well, enough of that. We should get on to more positive things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bring bring on our guest. And uh, I'm going to try the name, do the best I can. It's Gilham Friera. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little English and Portuguese, I guess, kind of mixed together, and yeah. probably more English. <laughs> he um he says his name much better than we do. Of course, yeah, I can my... put some some country on it. Gail Ham Faraya. Thank you for having me. My name is Guilherme Ferreira. There you go. Yeah, it's good to have a French accent, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, I I can only say you know the bon ton, right? Um, I can only I can, I can list some of our uh, our streets down here, Chapatulas, which it does not it's not spelled how it sounds, and Britannia, and you know stuff like that, right? New Orleans is a, a unique city, right? Knowledge. Anyway. Yep. 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 All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. So welcome, Gilham. 
Yeah, thank you for having nice me. Nice to have you here. Yeah. So uh, why don't you just kind of give us the basics of who you are and what you do and how you kind of got started in development. So familiarize ourselves with you. Yeah, sure. As I said, I'm Portuguese and I have been working in software development for the past 14 years. And I have been in the .NET space since the beginning, I kind of by by accident. I, I went to a to a course that I didn't know a lot, but was about uh, informatics and technology. And um, I fall in love with uh, programming. And since then, I have been working with .NET as a kind of a full-stack developer, having roles more about architecture, those kind of things. And, and one of the reasons that we are today discussing here is because of a personal story that I I have been sharing my 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 vision, what I have been living, that is because I, I have a chronic disease, a disease that I have to live with it. And that experience has shown me a lot of things that I could change that I believe that are good to others. So you've been in .NET for 14 years, you know? Yeah. What's kind of your, been your path through there? What kind of things, interesting yeah. things have you developed? Yeah, I, I started with, as web forms developer in the beginning using VB.net, but that was just a few months. And then I, I changed the company jobs and I went to C Sharp and uh, I really love C Sharp. And I have been I have been in working in multiple kinds of, of things. I started in um, in a kind of a consulting role, working in multiple small projects, usually web projects, but my most significant experience is my current one that I have been working in the same product for the past um, eight years. That is local platform that we are developing. And uh, I have been working with .NET since 4. whatever and going through the .NET migration, uh, changing to .NET, .NET Core 2.1, 3, all those kind of things. But most recently, most of my experience is using APIs built on top of .NET and using React on the client side. So you're using React Native? You said you were building mobile no, apps? No, we, we are creating a platform, uh, but is a, a platform for web development, but using concepts of low-code. We basically, we deliver a low-code solution to others, but we are using React to build our uh, web clients. So when you say low-code, can you... Can you describe what that is? Yeah, for sure. Low-code is a, a messy place because you use that term for a lot of things. And most recently, we start learning about things like no-code with solutions like, I think that is Webflow and those kind of things. Then we, we can see that there's multiple shades in the same color. We can see that is a kind of a gradient since the no-code to Visual Studio and C Sharp having the full power of the technology. And the, the difficult part is to find that, that place where you can fit and you, where you can help. Because you, you have multiple solutions. Now you have solutions from Microsoft with things like uh, Power Apps and those kind of things. And all of those things are no code because basically the idea is reducing the, the concerns that, you, that developers need to have uh, in order to create an application. Because let's face it, it's, it's a quite strange that every time that someone needs to create 
a business application, for example, they need to start by creating things like authentication, authorization, logging, access to database, form builders, those kind of things. So the goal of a low-code platform is to remove that effort from the, the developer and make sure that you only focus your talent in the real business problems, in bringing value to to the solution. And there's a lot of kinds of uh, uh, software developers. For example, I love to create hardcore stuff. Okay, I like to be nearby the metal and learning about why should I should I use a sync await? Why should I use value tasks? Why should I use something shiny? But there's the other kind of developer that doesn't like that thing. What they like is to be with the, the customer and try to implement what they need. Basically, if they need given business rule, is that they, they want to to do. And those kind that kind of people, we need to to have solutions for them. And if there are other kind of developers that prefer to create platforms, that is the case. We should we should try to help each other. That that's my vision of low code. But there's a movement going on to to solutions that are really no code. And the goal is simple: is you you don't know how to develop some something, but for example, you want to create your first startup. You have an idea. Why shouldn't I create a, a simple web app, for example, without knowing a lot of a lot of things related to software development. One day I will need to hire a developer, but today probably probably isn't that day. No, that's that's a great description of low code. One of the things that you've been focusing on in both your personal and professional life is simplicity. And I, yeah. I feel like that goes right right in line with your low code approach. Can you tell us why why the focus on simplicity and and, and what's driven you in that direction yeah it's it's basically my personal life has made me to find the value of simplicity because as i said i uh, i have a disease quite rare that can cause me a lot of problems but is manageable okay i I don't have a severe case of that disease but uh, in the beginning i had a lot of things that I, I need to cope with, a lot of back pain, problems with with multiple parts of my body. I can have problems with my vision, for example. And as, as a developer, what I tried to do was what we like to do is try to find solutions for a problem, searching online, finding patterns, other people coping with that disease, for example, and learning with them. And that's made me understand that I could change things like my diet, my exercise. All of those things have had a a good impact on myself. But there was one thing that I was noticing on myself that was every time that I was facing a moment of stress in my work life, uh, my professional life, all of that back pain was coming back uh, at me. And I tried to to do the same thing. I tried to find the, the root cause. And I noticed that we, this this wasn't just my problem. This is really common in our industry. You see a lot of people talking about burnout, for example. And it's really common in in the software industry because we we breathe complexity. It's our day-to-day job. We we have to be, uh, we are hired to to solve uh, complexity. And that sometimes starts leaking to yourself. You start being affected emotionally. This happens in a moment where I discover a, a thing that, that is minimalism. 
And I start learning about those concepts and trying to apply to a few things in my life. And I, I saw the value of, of that thing. And I tried to bring that to my work life. And this is really a powerful tool because it, sometimes it's, it's just a mindset thing. You just need to be uh, always trying to simplify everything. And there are just a few questions that you can apply to everything and you will find simple solutions. Because complexity there's a lot, has a lot of problems. You are wasting your talents to deal with complexity. For example, all, all of us, sure, we know what we, is uh, dealing with a legacy solution. We, we have a, a term for that and we have bad feelings when we need to, to handle that kind of code. And those moments, we are dealing with complexity and that is uh, a waste of our time, is a waste of our talent, is a waste of our creativity, is a waste of everything. And that has an, an impact of stress in you. And that sometimes can be causing pain in my case, but in in your case can be burnout and you don't notice. Only one day, a few months after, you will notice that you are burned out. I used to say that I have an advantage, that I have a kind of a blinky light, that every time that I am in a, that situation, my body will tell me. Probably in the case of uh, one of you guys, when you notice it, it can be too late and you need to, to handle it. And I, I really don't believe that burnout can be fight in a, a given shot. We tend to say, oh, you need to take vacations. You, you need to just slow, for, slow down for a bit. But that way you are, you are just delaying the, everything to come back at you again. And what I believe is that we should apply a few techniques in every single thing that we, know, we do to be sure that we keep that level of complexity under control. And it's basically that uh, the reason why I really love the idea of simplicity and trying to find the value of everything that I bring to my life. So can you give me an example of one or two of these strategies that you use? Yeah, for sure. All of us have read online those things about King's principle, keep it simple. Yagni, you ain't gonna need it. All of those things have one thing in common, that is questioning the value of everything. You are basically questioning, should I do this or should I have this, for example? And it's the same idea that minimalism has, is the idea of questioning, do I really want this? Do I really like this? This will improve my life. And when you start doing that thing, you will see that you will throw away a lot of things before you start it, okay? Because we are... We are so in love with finding solutions to complex problems that if someone comes to us and say, I have this problem to, to fix, and if it's challenging, we as uh, people that love to code, we <laughs> go for it. And we don't stop to think if there's a better way of, or if there's, there's really a need to, to do that thing. That is one case. Other thing is to be aware of to a few expressions that we tend to use, things like, for example, when someone in the team says, um, wouldn't it be cool if we just do this uh, small thing? Okay, It's quite common. Someone is uh, programming and someone has an idea and you are, all of you are really happy and you start coding that new idea. But no one has asked the customer if you really need that. And by doing that, you are buying complexity to the future. 
because it's one more thing that we will need to maintain in the future. Or for example, when someone starts to creating something and starts developing basically with the idea of just in case. I was really good doing that. For example, I want this feature to be uh, really configured. Uh, anyone can change the behavior. This will be in a JSON file somewhere and someone can tweak it. But no one demanded me that thing. I was raising the bar to to maintain that, that thing. And I was buying uh, complexity to the future, basically. So usually finding the simplest thing to do is most of the times the best thing to do. That is the idea of, let me recall the name of the principle, is Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is basically the a philosophical principle that says to you that if you if you have two options or two explanations to something, two ideas, usually the simplest one is the best one. And I really love that because if you combine this idea with, for example, DevOps or Agile, you are seeing this, the principle in practice is the idea of failing really fast, is the idea of going through the simplest one. And when you find if that thing works or doesn't work, you are always winning because if you go through the simplest one and it works, perfect. You have a simple solution and it was uh, really easy to accomplish it. Uh, if you go through the simplest one and it doesn't work, at least you didn't take the time to go through the complex one that can be hiding something nearby the end. And those projects, when you nearby the end, you start finding some roadblock, they bring a lot of complexity, a lot of stress, and a lot of pain. Uh, those are just a few kinds of things that you can do to, to, to fight it. Yeah, I find what? keeping things simple is is really beneficial, not only for what you're doing then, but also for what you have to do in the future. Because if you ever have to ever come back to something and you need to pick up or remember what it was doing, if you did it simple in the first place, it's going to be much easier to pick that up and, and fix or, or modify or do whatever you need to do, that old code that you haven't seen for a year or two years or five years. Yeah, and let's be honest. Today, we see the solutions to things that are really complex. But to be honest, we have tools to deal with all of that complexity and still create simple things. You can see, for example, searching in Google. Google, to someone that doesn't know a lot of software, seems a simple thing. It's just a small box with a, with a button and uh, will um, spit out a few links. But what we are seeing on those cases is an abstraction of that complexity. Basically, the, all the complexity of a search engine is abstracted from us. One good example that I, I like to use is that no one needs to know how a car engine works to, to drive a car. Okay? You don't need it. You just need to know how to drive a car. You don't need to know what is inside. Nowadays, you don't need to know the architecture of your CPU to develop a web application, for example. And you can do a lot of money uh, without knowing the architecture of the CPU. But a few years ago, you, you need, to, you need to, to know it. That is basically abstraction. You, um, you need to go through those simple techniques to build simple things. But, but you are basically splitting your complex problem in multiple small problems. And then you start composing them like Lego. It's basically that. I guess it's better. Like this. Kind of, this is a, oh, go ahead, why? Uh, you, you go first. 
So, so this is interesting. The idea of, I mean, I can't tell you how many places I've been where wouldn't it be cool if was almost the way of development after some period in time. And there are a couple companies I've been in that were very large, large enough. They had an architecture team that kind of sat in the middle. And we did look to what if we did this and tried to make everybody's life easier this way. And so that there was some times when that speculative nature was, was actually very useful. But when you started using this, how did your coworkers and people like feel about this idea of let's not just immediately do these things. Let's see if they're really needed. Let's cut back. Because sometimes it is kind of like almost you're t- like you're taking away someone's fun. Yeah. And let's face it, you can't do it alone. Something like that, if you start demanding simplicity from everything, you just seem a um, crazy guy. Just always trying to to talk about the same kind of things. But what one thing that I discovered was that in, in the Agile Manifest, there's a principle that is all about simplicity, for example. And people tend to don't know that Agile has a few principles, but they are really important. And one of them is the idea that simplicity is, is the art of minimizing uh, the things that you do. Basically, you don't want to do things that you shouldn't do. Uh, things that are, aren't needed. And if you work in an agile team that most of the times nowadays uh, companies tend to work, you can use those those principles to help you. And what is the most important thing that I can recommend is to, um, to promote the idea of finding the feedback as soon as possible. Okay, that's your first goal. And I, st- I start doing a simple thing. I start collecting feedback without developing a single line of code. Okay, just pen and paper. Okay, when you when you start trying to to draw a few boxes and trying to create a few mocks of your application or of your API endpoints, whatever, and you go to your uh, stakeholders, your your customer, and you just validate that thing. You will see that sometimes you you will find yourself doing the wrong thing. And if you create this kind of feeling, you will see that the team will join you to to do those kind of things. And other other cool tip that I can give is the idea of create creating sessions of uh, pre-mortem meetings. What is a pre-mortem meeting? It's basically a meeting where you bring everyone in the team to to a room. Today probably a a Zoom meeting, not a physical room, and you and you start asking to uh, to everyone that contributed to find that solution or that idea to kill that that thing. Okay, that's the challenge, and everyone needs to shift their their mind. Everyone should try to attack that thing, and if you create an environment where um, everyone feels safe by doing that. Because we tend to say that we like to fail fast, but most of the times companies don't really like to fail. But the idea is to fail when it's really inexpensive, when it's really cheap. So if you try to kill something, even before you start, it's a win-win solution. And sometimes you will see that you just find a few flaws in the, the idea and you just need to do a few tweaks. And that thing can be really powerful, and you can bring your team to think in the in the same way. It's a cultural thing, but you will see that will take time. But if you you start acting locally, you can start seeing it spread across your your team and your organization. I I believe so. 
Boy, I like that idea of a meeting where you try to kill features. I bet that's I bet that's very odd for people the first time they do it. Yeah, you there's there's I think that is company inside the Google corporates that is the X company or something like that. They are basically the moonshot moonshot factory of Google. And there's a I think that is a TED talk or something like that from uh, one of the leaders. And he said that the spirit of the 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 company is every single day question how I'm going to kill my project today. And people tend to be promoted and have a bonus when they kill the project because they are that those projects are so expensive. For example, creating an autonomous uh, vehicle, it's really expensive. If you need to kill it, kill it as soon as possible, please. So you, you can create those environments and don't just say that you like to fail fast because it's a trend and uh, it's really good. It, it, it seems beauty in, in your landing page, in your website saying that you fail fast, but you really need to create a culture when people believe that they can do that thing. I think what you're saying about company culture is key, right? Because I've, I've worked at places where the owner or the boss says they want this feature and you start asking, well, who's going to use it and what's the full functionality and what's the benefit? And they're like, I just want it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, it's, that's, I think that's a big piece of it. But I think it's a, it's a wonderful idea to pursue, right? And to try to build into your culture. And I think everybody's familiar with Google products that have gotten killed. You know, things that they used and they loved and really liked. And then Google just says, that's going away. Yeah, Inbox. Inbox. I loved Inbox. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't forget Google Reader till today. Yep, Google Uh, Reader. Yeah, but there's other kind of things that we, most of us didn't listen about them. Things like creating... The first uh, really smart city, I think that was in Canada, there, that was a project that is suspended because they start seeing that wasn't viable, for example. There are other ones, things like uh, spreading, uh, I think that was network balloons through Africa to, to have internet access global distributed. And th- those kind of things are really expensive when compared to, to Google Reader, for example. But having that culture is, I, I believe that is really important. Not not only in, in companies, but even in our lives. When we start seeing that something isn't what we are expecting, as soon as we can escape from that thing, uh, it's a benefit. It's the idea of the sunk cost fallacy, that when you invest yourself after a uh, while you start uh, going through, even when you don't believe it, because you can't accept the co- the cost that you have al- already invested. So it's because of that that I really believe on on those things. I, I think a process like that. What's really key also is finding the right stakeholders in the room when you're when you're doing that, and also a lot of times instead of trying to kill the feature, I try to just get the client to prioritize because you know a client will want everything generally but what do they want first you know and that, that that'll give you a bit more of a clue about what what are the true requirements that they actually need but i really believe that our our job isn't to to do what our customers want is to to do the best solution for their problem even when it's something that 
they are not asking for. Sometimes that will mean that you need to prove them that they are asking for the wrong thing. And sometimes you can achieve that by doing what you are saying. You can prioritize and one day you will be nearby the end of the project. That feature is in the end of the backlog and there's no more budget for the rest of the project. So that feature isn't done. There's multiple ways to go through this, but sometimes you need to, to be a kind of a politic and uh, try to, to prove the other side that uh, they don't want that thing that they are asking you to do. We are kind of uh, in a kind of a strange position because sometimes we are demanded to implement solutions instead of finding solutions to a given problem. So we start coding things without even knowing what we are trying to solve. And that puts, puts you in a, in a strange place where you can really contribute with, uh, with value. That is always the driver to find simplicity. I just found a new website, killedbygoogle.com. There's a, a list of 219 things that Google has killed. <laughs> well, then, well, then they're doing it right, right? <laughs> you know, you're talking about, you and Y both mentioned prioritizing stuff. And it doesn't happen that often, at least not, not in my experience. But if, if your client gives you this long list, right? And you're using Agile or Scrum or something along those lines. And you tell them to prioritize the stuff. And then you tell them, well, this item is going to take this many story points. And this item is going to take this many. The ones that they thought were high priority, but are going to take a lot of time, a lot of story points, all of a sudden become less, less important. And the longer you go, the less important they can become. So, yeah. It's so it's I, always I a, it's always difficult, yeah. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're gonna know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Ray Gun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresin.net.com slash Raygun. I had another question related to something you were talking about very early in our talk. So if you take me back for a minute to when you were first discovering this and you were talking about just very almost like scientifically approaching this idea of, well, I'm having back pains and what's the problem? I'm sure that took like a lot of different trial and error to try to uncover that because that's a, I mean, if you look at the statistics, at least in America, the percentage of men, adult men that have back pain and numbers are really surprising. And the number of causes I think can be pretty large. Um, one of the things that I was most curious about is you talked about the simplicity 
And I was thinking of this on sort of the two, if you could divide it into two halves. One is trying to achieve simplicity in the external, the world around you. Try to say, I don't need to do all this. I, this solution could be simpler. And the other one might be viewed as something like in simplicity internally. Like, I don't need to engage in all these thoughts or worry about these things and all that. Can you talk about like those two halves and was that really part of your journey or am I just putting something out there that wasn't really part of what you were discovering? Yeah, just just going to the beginning of the question, it was really difficult to, to go to a place where I, I discovered my disease because, for example, I was ignoring the back pain for uh, two years, okay? And after those two years, my wife just uh, made me go to uh, to see a doctor and they she put in place her power <laughs> on myself and <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and that works <laughs> and, and after knowing after knowing what you are dealing with because sometimes you don't know the name of the your enemy um it's uh, it's easier um but going to the 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 question of the internal simplicity and the external simplicity I believe that both are interconnected because when you are dealing with a lot of complex things around you, when you are, for example, exposing yourself to things that you don't like, for example, joining to to things that you don't believe, or for example, accepting things that are demanding from you that you don't buy in things like, okay, let's deliver this feature by the Friday. And you say, yay, uh, just because you don't want to be the guy that says no, for example. Those things are uh, extra- external factors that will uh, affect yourself internally. Because one of the things that I were I was noticing on myself was getting back home. I have a, a little daughter and I was playing with her, but always with a kind of a background thread thinking on the problem that I left in in the job after uh, I left. And when you do those kind of things, you will see that you don't give the space to your brain to to rest and to find different solutions. How many times do you go home and in the next day, when you get back to your keyboard, you find the solution for something that you fight for four hours in just five minutes? That's really a common pattern in our in, in our uh, profession. And that's because when you go to sleep, you give the space to your brain to process things and analyze things in a different way. When you get back to that problem, you start seeing in a different perspective. Okay. It's like, uh, I like to do a small exercise that is, uh, if we close our fist in front of our face and we try to focus it, we will see that everything around will start blurring because we are really good focusing things. And when you are in a key, with a keyboard, with a problem in your screen, and you are just typing and trying to go through it, sometimes you will not see that there's a, a door in, at your side with a sign saying, hey, go here. You just need to do this thing. So I really believe that both are interconnected. When you reduce the amount of things that you are exposed and you simplify the things around you, you will see that your uh, inner self will uh, feel more will will feel more calm more mindful more present and that can pay off in the external things also because you start being that guy that is always stressed that uh, doesn't recall anything because you 
when you are juggled with so many things, you start forgetting a lot of things, for example. So I believe that they are interconnected. And by doing one thing, you have the uh, impact in the other one. You know, here's something I really like about this is so often you'll hear people take this other angle, this idea of, oh, you know, you can handle all the complexity if you just maintain your center, maintain this right space inside. Like there's maybe some magic about the right way to think about things and then you can face any amount of complexity and it's all up to you to just manage that between your boundary of the inner and outer world. You're saying something completely different, which I think is spot on. You need to actually tell what's around you what the limits are. I'm not I'm not going to do this complex feature. I don't think it's necessary. I'm not going to do this commitment to do a feature that shouldn't be done by Friday because then I'll be thinking about it through the weekend or whatever. You're actually t- taking a different approach saying, no, it's not all for you to just manage internally. You have to be able to a- affect the world around you to help maintain the simplicity. If you deal with those examples that you just gave internally, you will see that by the day that something was supposed to be delivered, you will feel all that stress on that day. Mm-hmm. And when you say no to something, you are not refusing something. You are not being unprofessional. You are just giving a chance to the other side to prove you that you are wrong. Okay? I, I like to be proven that there's a better solution than what I was thinking. It's like when you are, for example, giving starting points to something, um, everyone in the team can prove you that you are overestimating something because you are thinking in a complex thing and there's a so much simple solution. So you are just basically being more transparent. And by doing that, people can work with you and can prove you that you are wrong. So I prefer that way than uh, just buying problems to the future. And one day I will need to, you, you are basically delaying the stress. And I don't like that idea because or, or sometimes you can be causing the stress in the other person because you can be a kind of a really peaceful guy that is a Buddhist and you do meditation and nothing can affect you. But if you do that thing and in the day that you were supposed to deliver something, you don't have it, the other side will feel that the stress on their side. And I have a kind of mission statement statement for myself that is I don't like to to create something to the others that I don't like for myself I don't like to affect others in a way that I don't like to be affected and when you go through your life with this kind of attitude I believe that you have positive things and you can deal with those things in a better way yeah, it's no wonder my best solutions always come to me in the shower right after taking, you know, sleeping for the night. So the, the nice hot water makes me relax. I'm, I've it's, slept, got rest. It's the bathroom so effect. There's something in the bathroom that can, <laughs> helps. <laughs> well, I wanted to say, once you have that eureka moment or you get that idea, you can look at it and say, oh, but that's so simple. But that's the whole point, right? Is getting back version that is reasonable to accomplish. Yeah. I have a question for, for you guys. How many times have you been in a situation where you start your morning trying to eat the frog, the worst thing that you have to do on that day, and you probably have accomplished the task by the end of the day, and probably you have a really bad solution for that thing because you were fighting with a complex thing, for eight hours, for example, and it didn't 
get the space to to look at it with a different angle, for example. This happens really a lot of a lot of times. Okay, and sometimes there's solutions for things that doesn't seem obvious, but are really good. For example, one that I really like is I think that is the Houston airport. That in the beginning they they have a lot of complaints related to the the time that the luggage took to to be available to collect. And for example, you you left the, the airplane and you need to pick your luggage and you were just waiting there. And everyone starts complaining about that. The solution that they found to to that thing uh, is really smart. And if I tell you, it seems really dumb because they couldn't change the the time that the passengers uh, took to go through the airplane to the airplane to that place because it was really close. So what they have done was to move the the landings to the other side of the airport, and now you need to walk through all the airport to get to that place. So when you go to to the place to pick your luggage, it's already there. But the beautiful part of that thing is that when you are walking, you are doing something that you feel that is productive. And when you are staying in place, just waiting, you are bored. So sometimes by looking to things with a different perspective and trying to embrace the problem, don't see the thing as an obstacle but as part of the solution, you can find really simple things to to do. Okay, nobody tell anybody this, but my wife, a lot of times when she's in a drive-thru, she pulls out, she'll turn right and go around the block so she doesn't have to wait for the gap in the traffic to turn left. Ah. And that's because, you know, she just doesn't want to sit there and wait. She wants to be driving. And so she'll go all the way around the block to the right rather than just waiting for the opening and then turn left. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, um, like if, I yes. have, if I'm at a stoplight and I don't want to sit there, um, I'll turn right and go down a few blocks and then come back up because you feel like if you're moving, you're you're getting there sooner or you're making more progress. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. <laughs> I also, I kind of get a little bit of anxiety. I guess it's kind of the other way around. Turn, turn right instead of turn left because... Australia, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like you do get that um anxiety when you have to cross both lines of traffic. So yeah, sometimes I do that, go around the block instead. So, and you know, this other thing I always wondered when you see people like always in some line or something, and everyone is on their cell phones. I always thought, oh, they just a uh, short attention span. They want to be entertained. Now I see it in a different light. Maybe everyone just likes to feel productive, and it's just a way to feel like they're actually doing something and not just waiting in line. Yeah, but but yeah. that is really. It's really dangerous because if you look to when you were, you were a small kid, you spend a lot of time being bored, mm. just trying to find something to do, and you didn't have it. Uh, today, there's a lot of stimulus to to kids, uh, so you don't give the space to your brain to um, to be imaginative, to um, to process things that you just learned. And I believe that sometimes we we should look to find um, moments where we feel uh, a kind of uh, in in a boredom, uh, when you feel really bored. For example, that's why I don't know if any of you ever tried the meditation, but meditation tends to be really difficult in the, the beginning because when you try to focus on not doing anything or thinking in anything, you will see that you are so used to do that thing that your body demands that from you. Because we we can't do those things, and finding that place where you get the space to 
to process things is really helpful. And the, there's some there's a that thing is a concern that I have, for example, with my daughter. She's growing in a, an environment where she has Netflix, uh, iPad, and it's it's really easy to to find a distraction. You know, when you're talking yeah. about the idea of meditation, I've been thinking about. I did it some time ago for a while, and I've been thinking about restarting it. What what do you think about starting with a meditation app versus just pure meditation? Is an app another form of uh, being distracted and engaged, or what? Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I believe that is important to start with an app because there's a kind of misleading concept of meditation. We tend to think that meditation is not thinking in anything, but it's not that. Uh, meditation is being aware of what you are thinking. And when you are in being guided by someone, it's easier because you can follow their instructions and you will, at least in the beginning, you will see that th that can put you in a place where you understand what, what you are doing. After a while, you can um, change your habit to have just a timer, for example. But in the beginning, I really believe that doing those kind of 10-session course that, for example, things like Headspace or Calm have, it's really helpful. Uh, I have done those both twice or multiple times after trying to do that alone. It's really helpful. And because th there's multiple kinds of meditation also, there's multiple kinds of things, uh, meditation with mantras, uh, meditation just that where you are just focused on your breathing, all of those things can can help, but being guided is is useful, at least in the beginning. You know, self-meditation, um, self-meditation for somebody with ADD is a little difficult. So <laughs> well, find somebody here's, to here's guide you. Yeah, I'm Sean, right? You know, I, I have ADD I, I, and my mind is all over the place. But especially with COVID, you know, what we're dealing with right now, I made a commitment to myself a couple of months ago um, that I really needed to make it a regular practice. And uh, I went a little hardcore. And so I'm meditating <laughs> one hour a day. Oh. Some of it with an app, some of it just nothing. But the thing is, if you realize that you're not meditating to stop thinking, you're not meditating mm. to be calm all the time, you're not meditating to become a monk, right? Meditating is more of just being and just letting your thoughts flow and then letting them keep going, right? And not being attached to anything in particular and it's it's made a huge difference for me in the last couple of months. It really has. So where, where do you find the, the I guess this time and also the space in a house full of kids to to, to uh, meditate? Yeah, I do it after we put Gideon to bed, and and I've uh, also had to to train my wife that if I'm sitting <laughs> in bed with my eyes closed and I'm not <laughs> under the covers, or if if I if it looks like I'm meditating, then I'm probably meditating. So uh, so so you know, <laughs> let me do my thing. That's yeah, awesome. Though. So I'm really curious. So you're at the beginning of this and it's all like fresh in your mind. Like what, uh, what kinds of benefits or, or changes have you seen? I am uh, less reactive. I, I do have more uh, of a sense of peace in general. I find that there's fewer things that, that are triggering me these days. It helps bring for me a different perspective to work and life and my wife and my son, right? And even the pandemic. It's it's funny, right? You look at it from an outside perspective, you're like, 
that can't possibly do that much for you. It can't make that big of a difference, right? But it's just something with the way that your mind is wired and the way it works that it really does. So I think that I think that's really cool, Caleb. That's that's I mean, hearing those benefits and it, it really to me it really relates to something Gilharam was saying is that yeah. you know I've thought about this a lot of times. I remember being a kid and being bored all the time. And I've thought about that so often. It's literally, I think a year can go by and I will not have one single memory of being bored. Like not once in an entire year. And it's just, what what happened? Where did all that stuff go? You know, and I, you, you can tell yourself it's just responsibility or those other things. There's always something to do, but some of it could just be habits. I think it is habits. Like I noticed the other day that every time I get into the lift at work, I pull out my smartphone. I never like mm-hmm. just stand there, you know, like there's, there's always something within your phone. There's always something that you can reach out if you're even got 10 seconds to, to be silent, you know. It's so. so hard to break that habit of dead time isn't wasted time. Yes. Mm. You know, it's the same idea of the commute to and from work for people who have the commute, right? Um, a lot of people see that as wasted time or dead time. But if you approach it uh, in in a particular way or look at it a certain way, it doesn't have to be, right? Yeah, it reminds me like I'm a fast walker because I don't I want to be here or there. I don't want to be in between because <laughs> that's you know wasted time. Right. <laughs> I am like the world's slowest walker. We could literally never hang out. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so a fast walker. Like, Oh, I was going to say I'm a fast walker because my dad, he, he always was walking fast as a kid. I had to, I had to almost run to keep up with them. Right. So, so this brings up an interesting question. Sean, Sean, I share this idea with you of like the idea that dead time is wasted time. I, I know I think that way about it. What do you guys think are some other alternatives about how to think about your dead time? Look at it as mental health time, right? Time for you. To just be. And I know saying just be sounds very woo-woo and or maybe odd, but that's really all it is, is not having to do anything, not having to to have this objective, just be there. Yeah, both mental and physical health, I think. You know, because you know, you think about a lot of people that are getting into d- development and they're, you know, in their early 20s or things like that. If they're gonna stay in this career they're going to be doing it for 40 to 45 years and you got to really take care of your body and you got to take care of your brain to be able to do this type of career for that, not that length of a time. I, I have a suggestion. If you want to be abstracted from the, the world, but uh, feeling that you are doing something productive. I recently started doing a puzzle with uh, 1000 pieces and I'm not a fan, a fan of uh, puzzles, but I start doing it uh, after dinner with my wife. And while you are trying to to find the pieces and those kind of things, you are not thinking about nothing. You are just in that process. It's a kind of manual task where you don't find the, the space to think in your work, in your problems. And it's a good way to, to start with it. I start doing this because... I listened to a podcast from Tim Ferriss and he had a, a guest that is uh, Hugh Jackman, the actor. And he, he was describing the, the habit of using puzzles to, to be a kind of a mindful uh, 
think. And other thing that Hugh Jackman said and related to one thing that you guys were saying uh, is that he always meditate, I think, at least 20 times, uh, 20 minutes twice a day. And the idea that she has is that meditation for him is like taking a shower. Okay, uh, it's tw twenty minutes that he takes every day because it's something that he needs to 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 feel good. It's like brushing your teeth. It's a task that you have to do every single day, and when you look to it in that way, then it's easier to find the time. One hour is really good, but if you start with ten minutes, for example, creating that habit, sometimes is enough. After a while, you start seeing differences. Yeah, you you don't have to to be me. I've been meditating off and on for like five, 10 minutes for years, but I do it every other day or I do it for a month and stuff. And I was like, nope, this is it. We're doing this. So you don't have to be me. <laughs> 10 minutes all Rambo. makes a difference. <laughs> I think we're also forgetting exercise. You know, that's one of the benefits of, you know, I play softball in the summer and hockey in the winter. Of course, not this year, but uh, that just gets my mindset out of problem solving and 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 development and code and just enjoy myself, have fun, playing a game, spending time with other people. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that's probably what in a way has been one of the best things about COVID. I've actually, because I work from home most of the time now, um, I've actually started doing a lot of just daily exercises and things like that. Things you can't really just do at work. You know, you can't, I can't bring dumbbells next to my desk and start doing it at my desk at work. So things like that. So and I think that's, that's made a really big difference to my mental health. I think you need a new company policy. Dumbbells a lot. <laughs> Pull up machines in the, in the hole and stuff, yeah. And it doesn't mean your co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Although yeah. there are those. <laughs> yeah. All right, Gilhelm, what are, we, what are we forgetting? What are we leaving out? What, what haven't we covered? Yeah, there's, there's always an important thing because you can face complexity from your problems your the way that you think the way that you approach things but uh, if you are a developer you start seeing complexity in your source code and uh, there's room to simplify those things also because all of us have kind of uh, energetic reactions to bad code for example or when you read your source code from a few months ago for example and there are a few things that you can do that can be really helpful. And you can start by the idea of clean code that I think that is really important. And people tend to to ignore it. And I, I don't understand how so many people start working in this industry without knowing concepts of clean code, for example. And no one takes the time to to teach them. And other thing that I think that is really important is to being aware that there are patterns and anti-patterns because I see patterns and anti-patterns as uh, history where you you know if something will work in your context or if something sometimes will backfire. And being aware of those kind of histories can be really beneficial and people need to to be aware of those things. So never forget to try to write your code in a way that can be well-maintained, easy to read, and simple to, to you and simple to others in order to simplify your time today and your time in the future. 
that that's that's really important to me. That's great. That's great. You know, I I really enjoyed this episode. I'm I'm glad we brought you on the show. You know, hopefully it can help all of our our mental health and make our code better and all sorts of things. Thank you. I feel I need to do what Caleb does and start meditating. Do it up to an hour a day. I'm not sure if I could, but um, didn't you go I to would... some? Didn't you go to some camp at some point, Caleb? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that was, yeah. That, but that was in my twenties when I when I had like ten days to. Have, being able to do nothing. I could never... Why, I don't think I, I could would, talk um, to my wife and do it. I would love to see you do that. Even if you only did it for a week, I would love for you to do it and let me know what results you get, right? I'll let you know by next week, all right? Uh, whether, okay, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll probably... 10 minutes a day for, for, the next, for the next seven days. How about that? There you go. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds yeah. good. I love it. Uh, are we all committing to this? Or, um. <laughs> you know what? I've, all these things really helped me. The the idea for me, one of the big things, which kind of was cued off by something that Sean was saying, was just the idea that free time is wasted time and other ways to think about it. This this analogy of Hugh Jackman to a shower, like if this person takes a shower, they feel good every day, they feel presentable. And then, you know, mm. Sean talking about specific, or sorry, I mean, Caleb talking about specific benefits he's gotten, being less reactive, a sense of peace and then a bigger sense of perspective about what life is really all about for him. It's like, these are very tangible things to me. And so, yeah, why I'm in, I'm, I'm I'll, I'll do this and, too. And nice. you can think, and you can think like the best thing of simplicity and mindfulness and all those things is that something simple seems that have quality improvements. Okay. You know, the, the brands that, for example, Apple has, and most of those things are related to, well care, simplicity, uh, user experience, and all of those things is what we should looking f- look for us, that kind of feeling. When you have something simple, the cognitive load to face it, it's quite small when compared to something really complex. Mm. Great. Great. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. I'm going to move us on to picks. We've been going on for a while, so I think it's pick time. Um, Go ahead, Joel. What's your, what's your pick? Great. So um, we have had uh, ice on our roads out here now on and off for four weeks. We got a really early start to winter. And so I have put away my fast and speedy and lightweight bikes. And I'm actually out on, uh, I don't know if these are as popular in other parts of the U.S., but fat bikes are really popular up here because they're safe on snow and ice. And so uh, my particular fat bike is a 907 model. And I uh, picked it up, used from a guy, and it's got on uh, the widest rims you can get, which helps the tire lay out flatter and be even wider on the snow. You run them down instead of like my racing bike back when I used to race, the common tire pressure would be like 100 to 130 PSI. 
a fat bike in the winter, you might run at six, seven, or eight PSI. So they wow. lay down real flat and they're real pliable and sticky and they just don't slip out. But you're good pedaling for, pretty good hard. For, yeah. They're good for the beach too, I think. Actually, they will stay and float on top of that sand, kind of like they do for snow. So yeah. so maybe they are a little more common than I think, but we I think of them as a kind of a northern latitudes kind of bike. But it's so you're riding on the great. road or are you riding on like dirt? So two parts to it. One, up here in Minnesota, we're one of the two top cities for having a lot of trails that are next to roads where you're not having to be on the road. So that's quite nice. Right. I'll also ride on the roads because I'm comfortable. I've done it so much. But the third thing is, once the freeze is finally done and all the ground is frozen, then we can go back to the mountain bike parks and ride on the trails in the woods. It's just right now we're in that thaw freeze cycle and it's kind of muddy. They won't let us anywhere near the trails because it would ruin them. So we've really got all three options up here once things get colder. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Right, so why? my pick is the 907 model of bikes. I'll put a link in here to them. Cool. All right. Why? What'd you pick? So I bought a, a new running watch this week, which I thought would be my pick. It's, it's a Garmin. 245 and yeah it's got like tons of sensors to detect like you know when you sleep and exercise how stressful you are actually i'm not sure how accurate that is um yes yeah, it's, it's got like tons of data so i'm hoping it'll motivate me to exercise i might even have to start to take up running so but yeah i got a really good deal so yeah all right cool caleb my pick actually falls right in line with what we talked about with mindfulness and meditation and it is a an Android and iOS app similar to Calm and Headspace. It's called Waking Up, and it lets you try out their open introductory meditation stuff that you can do the first 10 days or something. And then after that, it is subscription-based. It's $99 a year, but if you can't afford it, which you know um, I think most of us could, but if you can't, you can actually email them and tell them, and they'll immediately give you... Uh, a free annual subscription because their idea is that they want everyone to have access to meditation and mindfulness regardless of your economic status. So that's fantastic. Well, so what's what's the difference between those types of apps and um, Calm or Headspace? It's yeah. right. They're they're all trying to do the same thing. They're just doing it a little differently. And I think part of it is finding the app that suits Perhaps. you best. Headspace didn't really work for me. I actually have a lifetime subscription to Calm and, and I like it, but I found this app through one of my podcasts, other podcasts that I listened to, and I tried it. And the guy who who created it, he does all of the all of the meditations himself. And he has a calming voice and his his perspective and, and how he goes about it. I just I appreciate it. I like it. So I think it's personal preference, really. All right. Go ahead. What's your uh, what's your pick? Yeah, if you don't mind, I want to give two. Um, yeah, no problem. One of them is one book that I believe that everyone in software development should read. That is The Phoenix Project. It's a really, really good book that everyone tends to to see themselves in, in that book or knowing one of those characters. It's a kind of a novel, but about technology. And the other one is a miniseries from Netflix that is The Last Dance about uh, Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Even if you don't like NBA, for example, I live in a country of football, so uh, football, the European, the original one. Um, <laughs> and NBA isn't something that we tend to see. But I really like that that TV show because it 
teach you so much so many things about the teams and leadership and uh, the dynamics of a group uh, where you see a superstar being a member of of a team and i really recommend that to anyone working in a team awesome yeah i i watched uh, most of that series when it first came on it was really interesting a lot of people had opinions on it so it was some controversy in some of the com- comments and attitudes and things like that but it, i it was definitely worth watching so uh, my pick this week is actually going to be a new podcast microphone that I picked up. I've recorded the last couple of shows using this microphone. It's made by Shure, and it's kind of a it's kind of a prosumer microphone. It's kind of in between you, you know what you'll find on your sh- your store shelves like Best Buy or something like that, and the professional studio microphones. It's the Shure MV7. Really nice microphone. It's got good software to go along with it. It's kind of a really good pickup. It's it's based upon one of the most popular Sure studio micro- microphones out there. So if you are looking for getting serious into podcasts or audio recordings, recordings, definitely check out the Sure MV7. And I picked up a boom arm to go along with it. But other than that, it works great just by itself. All right, Gaham, if people have questions, how can they get in touch with you? Okay, they can check my website or um, my Twitter account. If we can leave in the comments, uh, in the notes, it will be cool. Yeah, definitely will. Definitely will. Great. And if our listeners want to get in touch with the show, if you've got feedbacks, comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can touch, get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, Thanks, dun, everyone. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. All right, we'll, catch you. we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.